Welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers and generously supported by Raj and Kumla Gupta, shining the light on the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norp. While chemical engineers may already be intimately familiar with the term PPE, certainly the current public focus on personal protection equipment is unprecedented and the companies involved in meeting the sudden and overwhelming demand in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic have found themselves thrust onto the front lines of a worldwide battle. So in this, the next of our special series of episodes dealing with the novel coronavirus, we wanted to bring to you two individuals tasked with ramping up the production of personal protection equipment and products at their respective companies to learn more about the challenges and the resulting innovations. First up, we have Dr. John P. Banovitz. John is the Senior Vice President of Innovation and Stewardship, as well as the Chief Technology Officer at 3M, overseeing over 8,000 scientists in their efforts to solve real-world real problems. John, welcome to the program. <laughs> Great to be here. Thank you. And next, we have Dr. Brendan Boyd. Brendan is the Vice President of Technology at Eastman Chemical Company, where he oversees the plastics and fibers business, both integral parts of the PPE supply chain. Brendan, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Now, I want to thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedules to talk with us today. And to get things started, let's talk a little bit about each of your organization's involvement in the PPE space. And I'm going to start here with John. What is your company's history here, and who are your typical customers? I mean, what what is your background in dealing with the personal protection environment? So 3M has thousands of trusted PPE products that help protect people in over 20 industries uh, globally. We started in the space in the 1950s with hearing protection, and in the 1970s we launched the first kind of approved filtering face mask respirator. We've continued to introduce and improve safety products over the decades, whether those be disposable respirators or reusable respirators. And the fuel that drives our innovation is our ability to find the necessary and really uncommon connections between our technology and the hazards that people face and find every day. Our first face piece respirator was created this way. We identified a need for a simple and effective respirator that would reduce workers' exposure to certain airborne particles, dust, um, things like that. And this product was launched and it introduced an entirely new category of PPE and really served as a catalyst for a lot of further worker-inspired innovations. Now, who would your, going back to the original question though, who would your original customers or your typical customers be for these products? I mean, are you um, servicing, have you been servicing the medical community as well as um, construction and other types of work at workplace environments? Yeah, we've been servicing uh, both healthcare as well as industrial markets for quite a while, since the really that first introduction of the face masks and the respirators in the 1970s. Now, to be fair, most of the demand and most of the, up until the COVID-19, most of the demand and most of our production was always faced against uh, the industrial markets. And since COVID-19 and the pandemic and the activities have been going on. We've actually been able to shift our production to really address those healthcare workers. But we've always been in both markets uh, since the beginning. And Brendan, give me a little bit of history about Eastman. What is the background of Eastman in this space, and who are your customers? 
Yeah, no, uh, happy to. Actually, uh, Eastman's not normally a significant participant in the traditional PPE market. Um, we, like many other uh, companies or consumers of the products that you know John just described, 3M making. Um, our normal place in the supply chain is a little bit further upstream in which we uh, sell some of our specialty thermoplastic resins into uh, a customer base that converts them into a wide variety of products, such as like thin, thin uh, films and sheets that can be used in PPE. And we've been, I would say, supplying that market, but we haven't actually been focused upon it um, uh, recently. It hasn't been like a prioritized market segment for us. But actually, all that changed back in uh, in March when we started getting calls for uh, for help in terms of making some critical PPE that was in short supply in uh, in our own state of Nashville, Tennessee. And what would be some of the unique properties or unique benefits of the products that you're providing um, in the marketplace? Is there something about Eastman's formulation that kind of sets it a, apart from the rest? Yeah, most of our cellulose esters as well as our um, copolyesters are known for their transparency, chemical resistance, and then general toughness, which makes it ideal for certain applications where you're looking to shield somebody from something, particularly face shields. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And going back to you, John, um, from the standpoint of you, you've got hundreds of products out there right now um, in this space. I mean, what are some of the unique selling points of the products? What are some of the unique benefits to working with 3M? Yeah, our, uh, you're right. We have thousands of products out there in the space, and and our products actually rely on, on some pretty advanced technology, both to physically uh, filter air, so it can attract different airborne particles, but also we use electrostatics as well. And because of that combination between both physical filtration as well as the electrostatics, in many cases, we're able to create incredibly high filter efficiency, so taking particles out, airborne particles or things out of the air, as well as making them very comfortable to breathe, so um, what's called the pressure drop or being able to make the respirator very comfortable on the face. And by doing that combination, it actually helps protect the worker further because uh, the respirator isn't hot and stuffy and uncomfortable to wear. It makes it more comfortable to wear meaning that the worker is more likely to keep the respirator on and stay protected for a longer period of time. I was just going to say that. I mean, the comfort is something that can't be underestimated. If it's uncomfortable, they're not going to wear it, and that defeats the whole purpose of the protection equipment. Uh, that's, that, that, that's correct. <laughs> well, how, how, does, how does the current situation affect both of your companies in terms of things like sourcing, manufacturing, distribution? Um, Brendan, I'd love to start with you on this one because it's just like, the, you know, getting the raw materials and sourcing them and manufacturing them has to be difficult given what's going on right now with the mass quarantine. It, it can be, uh, certainly. Uh, so one of the things that we've seen that's been more interesting is that, as I was saying earlier, you know, Eastman hasn't traditionally um, participated in the uh, PPE market. But starting in uh, as the some of the coronavirus infection rates were kicking up, particularly in in, uh, in Tennessee, um, that's when a lot of the um, healthcare workers started noticing a shortage of particular um, PPE items like face shields, and so um, we were basically getting calls to see if we could help make face shield types of products um, for the uh, different local regions that needed them in Tennessee. And so for us, it was kind of, we were 
seeing uh, a need uh, locally that was being generated by some of these local efforts to make face shields because the traditional supply chains weren't working. So it was kind of a disruption that was occurring in those supply chains. And we were able to go in and uh, figure out how we could make some um, uh, materials that could be used for uh, face shields, actually not just selling uh, pellets, but also selling or not selling, but donating uh, thin films and sheets to some of these efforts that you read about on the internet where people have, uh, you know, armies of uh, folks at home with 3D printers that are making headbands, mm. um, which you can easily 3D print, but uh, didn't necessarily have access to the other critical component of the face shield, which is the, the shield material itself. Right. Um, and so what we increasingly found was more and more groups that could make part of the face shield, but not the other part. And so uh, we ended up uh, actually um, making some of the, the sheet ourselves in one of our applications lab in Kingsport, uh, Tennessee, and then uh, shipping that over to, to Nashville back in March. And that's kind of what started it for us. Uh, since then, we've probably run six or seven different similar efforts uh, around the world. You know, th this is something that comes up again and again on this show, um, not just when we're dealing with the coronavirus, but overall, the fact that hardship breeds innovation. And you seem to be innovating not just the product, but also the processes and the, and the, the, so the chain of actually making these products. I mean, it seems like you're, you're looking at innovative ways to, to change the way that you do business. Is, is that fair estimation of what's going on here? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good description of it. You know, as, as uh, what I think started to happen was as different kind of state and uh, local officials started seeing shortages of materials, be they, you know, test kits, cotton swabs, um, respirators, or face shields, they started reaching out to um, kind of the, the industry within their areas to see what they could do to, to help. And, you know, in some cases, that's probably donating materials that you have, like N95 respirators to um, frontline medical personnel. And in other cases, it's figuring out how can I take a capability and a material that I have and make it work in this end-use application because the, the need is so acute, you don't have time for the, the normal supply chains to work. And it, it was also just a great testament to a lot of initiatives that the, um, particularly in the state of Tennessee, had fostered for um, setting up 3D printing shops at a lot of their universities. They actually kind of had this distributed network of manufacturing sites that uh, could help out in this case very, very quickly. And John, uh, from your perspective at 3M, how is the the hardship of sourcing, manufacturing, distributing, um, tr trying to figure out well, who, where to prioritize items and all that stuff, how is that affecting the innovation of the products and innovation of the processes that you use to bring these products to market? Oh, it's, a, it's a huge impact on the innovation that, we, that we've been seeing and accelerating the innovation. Um, I mean, just for our case, it's been really about how, how, how do we make as many respirators as we can, as fast as we can, to get them in front of the, to get them into the healthcare workers. And so it's really a matter of capacity and then extending the life of our respirators uh, when they're in the healthcare environment themselves. And so that's something you know, for, that I heard about. I heard about 3M is extending the life of the respirators, extending yep. the life of the masks. Um, tell us a little bit about that innovation that's going on. Yeah. Yep, sure. And, and you know, it's not that it's not that to be fair, it's not the preferred wave from the CDC. 
per se. But we do understand that in, in certain situations, people have been asking about how do we, how can they extend the life of their respirator? How can they um, make, use it longer in whatever healthcare environment they're in? And so we've been doing a lot of work around um, decontamination of the disposable N95 respirators and some of the filtering face pieces around it. And we've actually been collaborating with a lot of the decontamination companies to evaluate whether their systems can work or not. And you, if you can think about it, two of, the, two of the most important features of the respirator are the fit and filtration. And so we've been sending respirators and working with these companies to run through their different processes and their different contamination systems. And then we're testing the fit and the fil filtration properties of it that allows that company, um, that sterilization company, for instance, to recommend the method based on their own kind of their own work due diligence. So we're doing part of the puzzle. They're doing the other part of it. Um, and then they're able to apply for emergency use authorization through the FDA as well. And so because of that partnership and that collaboration, we've been able to help accelerate that. And actually, three different companies have been able to come forward with their um, emergency use authorizations around this decontamination. So it's been, for me, one of the big innovation pieces has been just the external partnerships and connections that have been made to help accelerate some of these processes. And I think Brendan kind of referred to that as well with the connections in the state of Tennessee. So. Yeah, and, and just like what John was saying, you know, I think a lot of times uh, because we're industries that know how to make things, you know, we can, when we hear about these needs that pop up in different places, we can kind of reach out to our networks and we can figure out who we can collaborate with. You know, in the, the case of Eastman and supplying um, parts of these face shield materials, you know, part of what we ended up doing and um, as the more and more requests came in, they quickly <laughs> overran the uh, the small uh, R&D scale kind of extruder that we've got uh, at our um, site in Kingsport. And so really what uh, we've been leveraging is some of the commercial connections that we have with people that have much larger assets to kind of get the solution, if you will, scaled up in more uh, traditional supply chain so that, you know, these types of materials can be made more quickly um, and at the scale that the, the United States needs them. Yeah, and uh, just building on that, our, you know, we we've done the same. We've been able to connect with our our networks, our commercial networks, in different parts of the supply chain in some different ways. We've um, to meet this, this this incredible demand of PPE. For instance, we've partnered with Cummings, you know, the kind of the um, engine manufacturer filtration company, if you want, and. Uh, working with them how to how to ramp up and produce filters. Um, we've done the same with Ford for what's a powered what's called a powered air uh, respirator or PAPR system in which Ford we've partnered with Ford in order to produce uh, a PAPR a new a new material that can be a new product that can be used under this as well. And so it's really been from an innovation standpoint, it's really been fantastic to work with these external companies and kind of open up. Uh, a little bit and, and learn from them as well. That sounds that sounds really amazing. Um, and something else you guys mentioned, not only this collaboration between you and other companies, but also the collaboration with state, local, national, foreign governments. Having to deal with that level of coordination must be a whole new process for for you. Can you walk us through that a little bit and tell us 
um, a little bit about what you're doing to manage that new relationship that you're probably dealing with, maybe not for the first time, but probably to a greater extent than you've ever had to before in the past? Yeah, so I think for, for Eastman and, and our participation with this, it's been more of a, we'll get some inquiries from uh, national and state governments, mostly just to, you know, these are, are folks that see areas of just acute need of these types of products in their um, in their cities and in the states. And so they'll ask us, uh, you know, what are the things that we could do to, to try to help out um, with these? And And sometimes there's a way that we can do that by, you know, maybe making a material or, you know, turning some of our pilot plants into small hand sanitizer uh, production facilities for uh, local consumption. And in, in other cases, what we're trying to do is trying to help explain how these, you know, traditional supply chains work so that they can um, better figure out how to try to activate, um, try to activate that supply chain in order to uh, solve the supply to solve the supply disruption that they're that they're having. Yeah, and Bob, from the 3M standpoint, we're in the we're in the thick of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and 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 it's for for us, it's it's just it's just at a different level. We've always had to deal with with local, state, federal authorities, but it, but obviously this pandemic has raised has raised the stakes and done it um, in a different way that that we've had to. To learn and adjust to, but you know, it's it's, it's been really in, incredible and very fruitful. I mean, I think it's people probably have seen that. You know, we in the Trump administration, we have a plan to import 166 million respirators um, from our facility in China to support healthcare workers here in the U.S. Um, the plan, uh, working with the with the government, the plan's also been able to make sure that we're able to supply respirators to Canada and Latin America, where we are the primary source of supply for these products in, in a lot of those countries as well. But it's also it's also changed how we work on things like um, fraud and, and pricing and things like that as well. So, you know, for instance, we've been working with U.S. state attorney generals, governors, um, a variety of different people just to do everything that we can to help stop fraud counterfeiting and and price gouging with these with these products i was going to so, ask you about that because that's something that's been in the news quite a bit is the price gouging on masks and ppe equipment and how you know there's a lot of effort to try to stop that but it's not just um stopping it it's not just um the government trying to stop that you've actually been very involved in trying to to bring this to an end and bring retailers into alignment on pricing yeah, uh, yeah, we it has. It's been a big effort for us at at three M, um, in order to do that. And you know, we we came out very quickly and and have repeatedly said, you know, we have not and we will not, you know, change the prices we charge for our respirators as a result of this this outbreak. Our focus is solely on trying to make as many respirators as we can and getting them to the U.S. healthcare workers as quick as we can. Um, and and we're trying to also partner, as you said, and do everything we can to stop this illegal and, and really unethical behavior that that can cause real and serious harm. Um, so we we have been working with law law enforcement agencies around the world to to get after these third parties that are seeking to take advantage of it. And really, we don't have any tolerance for it. And we're doing everything we can to stop it. We have a fraud line that we've set up 
we've re been releasing our price lists um, on our products to be transparent around that as much. And we've even gone so far as to f file multiple lawsuits, uh, New York, Florida, Canada, California. Um, and we we're actively terminating distributors uh, within our channel that we see doing price gouging as well. So um, it's been a huge effort at 3M and something we're going to continue to do and we're going to continue to go after it to make sure that, the, again, that the, the, the products can get to the healthcare workers that need it. Yeah, we've been, Eastman's been fortunate uh, to not find ourselves in, in the particular situation that John unfortunately described, most, mostly because we've been almost more like a new entrant into to making uh, materials that go into PPE. So, you know, the collaborations that we were working out with folks is just to make sure everybody's doing this kind of at cost in order to to scale up these solutions in the in the marketplace. Well, are there any key? I'd love to get back to the innovation side of the uh, discussion here because there's there's so many interesting things going on in this space right now um, as people push the boundaries. And one of the things that is of real interest to the listeners of this show are the chemical engineering teams and what their involvement is in terms of working on improving efficiency, product life, et cetera. Um, how have the chemical engineers that you're dealing with been uh, contributing in substantive ways to this process and to what's going on? Um, John, you want to start? Yeah, so the, my comments around steril, sterilization and extending the life of the PPE and the work there is really we've seen our, our chemical engineers step up both on a process as well as kind of that intersection between materials and process in order to make that effective. Another area that we're seeing uh, probably for the future and, and continuing forward is how do you how factories are run with fewer workers in, I'll, I'll say, a COVID-19 world which relies much more on automation, much more on um, on control of the processes in order to do that because, you know, kind of the factories of the, of the past may not be the factories, well, certainly won't be the factories of the future as well. And so we see our, our chemical engineers really pushing the frontier between those materials, that intersection between the materials and new materials as well as these processes. And how about you, Brendan? Yeah, for for us, you know, since so many of the times when we get a call, it's a very acute need for uh, we're trying to uh, make several thousand, you know, face shields in a very short period of time. I'd say the thing that we try to focus on is outside of just making sure, you know, we can uh, help the people get the materials that they need is we'll help them to, by taking a look at the design and the production process that they're going to try to implement in order to meet these, which is usually a fairly large goal for a collective of folks that don't necessarily have that experience. Um, and so it's mostly just trying to leverage the capabilities that we do have um, to try to help them be as efficient and as possible in, in the, the programs that they're running to, to make this PPE. And then, you know, we've also, and it's probably the same with uh, John's team at, at 3M, we just have a really um, creative group of individuals that are constantly thinking about how can we make slight improvements on the things that we have uh, or make things that are new um, for these uh, frontline medical personnel. Uh, one of the things that uh, actually somebody in our IT department, so not a traditional uh, chemical engineer, helped design this. Uh, it's an ear guard. So because uh, nurses and 
And medical personnel have to wear these face masks, usually have an elastic uh, kind of strip going back behind their ear. The uh, person actually designed a small metal, almost looks like a small dog bone that's got two notches on it to, to keep that elastic off the, the nurse's ear, which has been <laughs> amazingly successful product <laughs> launch for, for them. Uh, so, you know, um, this altruistic drive uh, to try to help out in any way possible uh, it just it shows up everywhere, and so it's not just um, kind of your traditional technical staff, but everybody's figuring out uh, ways to to practically help out these folks. Well, let's go to what comes next because I'd love to find out what's next on the agenda for each of you in terms of your COVID nineteen response effort, both on an individual level in terms of what you're doing on a daily basis, but also from a corporate level, where, where are you going to move next? What's the next thing on your list of things to do? Um, Brandon, you want to keep going? Yeah. Um, kind of maybe just starting off with the, the PPE conversation. A lot of what um, we're doing right now is making sure that there's a commercial network of folks that can make these subcomponents for face shields um, at a larger scale than we can. So, um, our uh, commercial partners in specialty plastics just uh, announced a partnership with Rotuba in the United States for uh, providing uh, materials and that can go into making face shields. So we'll probably see more of those because the, the demand keeps on coming in more and more for more and more of these, these types of products. Um, when you think about, um, I think what everybody's looking forward to is, you know, what are the, some of the first steps that we can take back to, um, maybe starting to take steps back towards uh, working, uh, you know, back in our labs and in our, our offices, uh, maybe not back to normal uh, as they were back in February, but maybe something a little bit closer to that. And John? Yeah, I'd say, indiv- I'd say individually is that exactly what Brennan just, just mentioned. It's spending a lot of time thinking about how do, we, how do we get people back into our labs, into our pilot facilities, um, around the world. In some places they already are back and other places they're starting to return back. And then realistically in a few places, they may be a couple of weeks, but trying to think about how we can bring people back, uh, our employees and really keep them safe um, in their work environment and make sure that they can continue to be safe in that work environment. And so we're doing a lot of, a lot of work in preparation for that. And then kind of more corporately, the, the big conversation that we're starting to push is what do our product portfolios look like in the next one, three, six, nine months, how do they change? How does how how is COVID nineteen going to help change some of our product portfolios uh, across all across our different businesses? Um, PPE for a dentist office, or how do we change some of our respirators to better design and fit into a healthcare environment? Um, we have several businesses around sanitation and disinfection, so. What's the next steps that we take in those businesses to ensure that uh, we, we can control uh, potential infections or viral spread in different environments? So really kind of thinking about what are the product portfolios and how do we bring, you know, really 3M innovation to the challenges of a COVID-19 world? So you both have quite busy schedules, so I will let you go. But before I do, I want to say quickly, um, how can listeners find out more about your work and stay in touch with the efforts at both 3M and Eastman? Uh, You want to give out a website or information or something that they can follow? Sure, sure. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, uh, thanks, thanks, John. So, uh, yeah, we... 
keep uh, our website eastman.com updated with uh, um, the latest news in terms of our relief efforts for COVID-19. And then uh, we're pretty active in, in LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Awesome. Yep. And with 3M, very, very similar through uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook type things. But you can find specific information around 3M and what we're doing at news.3m.com. Great, great. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for spending time with us today. Oh, pleasure oh. to do it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Our guests today have been Dr. John Banovitz from 3M and Dr. Brendan Boyd from Eastman. For more details about the topics we discussed or to find out more about the Doing a World of Good campaign, visit doingaworldofgood.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit doingaworldofgood.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening.